out. The test is over. Goodness me. Wow. That was a beauty. It is out. And here he goes. This delivery has him using the bowl. On the front foot with Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney. Powered by Newstalk ZB and iHeartRadio. Hello and thank you for joining On The Front Foot. In this edition, will there be any surprises in the Test Squad to tour England? Should there be? Perhaps there should be one or two uh, newish players coming into the Test lineup and and being introduced carefully at certain times and when conditions suit. How can New Zealand cricket improve the women's game? Is there an easy fix? No, and it won't be done in a very short time. And I think sometimes just throwing money at the game isn't uh, actually uh, going to produce results. And Kane Williamson, should he still be playing IPL? A cricket fan on Facebook says no. Quite an incredible reaction from one fan to Kane Williamson. Uh, I don't know that you would ever contemplate something like that. Jeremy Kane, thank you very much for joining us on the front foot once more. Hello, Wads. How are you? Um, T20 for Williamson. Yeah, well... He was the only Sunriser, you know, retained, wasn't he, in that squad? Um, Yes. I noticed the other night he got 57 from about 45 balls, something like that, playing uh, Gujarat, and the Lockie Ferguson was up against him. So was Shami, and so was Rashid Khan. And uh, so he did all right there and got them home to a victory. And they followed it up with another or. I think they had a victory before that against Stephen Fleming's side, didn't they, as well? So that's two in a row. Yes. Um, and look, what about that 85 he got, Wads, in the World Cup final, where he he absolutely destroyed Mitchell Stark, didn't he? Four overs for 60 runs. And he just took him apart. I think he has to bat open number three. I mean, he's a busy little anchor. Um because he can play in different ways, can't he? He can be safe and manipulative. It's tricky. He plays pace and spin equally well. He attacks in different parts of the field. He can take advantage of fields. And he doesn't muscle the ball. Um, he's got a wide range of shots. And I I think he's certainly... I don't know what his stats are. You probably may have them, Wads, but at your at your fingertips. But I, I just think he's a very... Very useful, and he's a captain. Useful, yes, a leader of a side, and and interesting, you know, his overall T Twenty stats in in every form of the game, whether it's international, uh, IPL, and in all games that he's played, five thousand six hundred and ninety five runs. He averages thirty one, and he's got a strike rate of one hundred and twenty three. That's what you want, isn't it? A, a good average. Thirty is a pretty good average in in that form of the game. With a, with a high strike rate. Uh, I mean, I think that's something you've always talked about in terms of T20 cricket. Got to. And, and if you are going to bat where I was suggesting, opening number three, Wads, you need to take advantage, don't you, of those sort of power play overs. So w- Williamson, uh, he's, he's just a good all-round player. You and I may as, you know, we, we're, we're old fogies, really, and we, we probably enjoy the fact that he doesn't muscle the ball. He, he's, there's something pleasant about watching him play. It's aesthetic. And I've always, uh, you know, taken a bit of pleasure from watching Williamson construct his innings. And I think there is still room for that, even in a short format. Just while we're on uh, stats and we're talking about uh, the test 
possible test lineup today. Uh, a good finish to the season from Tom Bruce. Now, we don't consider him in terms of test match selection, but his last three games, I mean, he's done something quite phenomenal. He scored double hundreds in successive innings. So his last three innings, all not out, 90, 208, and 204. A season of 858 runs at 143 average. And his first-class average is 47 from 59 games. And yet, I'll bet you when you were looking through your names, Jerry, his name probably wasn't one that would come to mind. But with stats like that, you've got to think about somebody like him, don't you? Well, they're certainly very impressive, aren't they? High 40s, you're talking people like Martin Crow up in that sort of area. I, I, Tom Bruce, I mean, he's been around for some time, hasn't he? I mean, he's a middle-order player, basically. Doesn't bowl, has captained. Um, I'm just thinking of just my memory of, of what I know about Tom Bruce. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I just think where can he actually fit into the test side? I'd certainly expect with those figures him to be figuring in some of the, you know, the New Zealand A side, you know, that second tier kind of group. And then if he gets a few there, then he pushes through and gets into the, and gets a good looking. I don't know what his age is. He's been around a while. Yeah, he's 30 and he's played 17 uh, T20 internationals for New Zealand. Now, somewhere along the line, uh, he hasn't been seen as a viable option in say ODI or in, in the test match side. Now, uh, I mean, he's he's got to be considered he, at 30, and he's played 59 first-class games. There's got to be a maturity about his game, and you've got to have a coach or a mentor or somebody who can work with a guy who's got that kind of talent. And, and you know, we don't have an excess of talent, do we? And even if he's in one of the, um, the, the short-form games that go to England and Ireland and Scotland and the Netherlands, um, it's it's going to require a lot of players because, as uh, the selectors have said, it's not going to be the same old, same old. Uh, they're going to have to use different players to fill different roles. Yeah, well, let's not then be surprised if perhaps the T20 ODI, that's where really our players come, isn't it, Brian? They come through that route. New Zealand have sort of worked, the, worked newer players in through those formats before they get to the test level. And that makes sense as well, get them used to things. Uh, he, he might well be considered. Those, those are pretty impressive figures, there's no doubt about that. And there are not many people doing that, are there? And in CD, you play in different areas, don't you? Palmerston North, Napier, you get, you get around quite a bit. So you're playing in different conditions, or New Plymouth and so on. So, uh, yeah, probably worth, worth a look. That, that wasn't a name that was on my page, I've got to confess to you. Well, I've got him. I've got him down as uh, as certainly one of the short form players on this tour. Let's look at the test side. Well, uh, we're not quite sure when it's coming out over the next uh, week to ten days. Should there be any surprises within the test lineup? Well, sh- when you ask that question, it suggests to me um, that we are reaching a point where perhaps there should be one or two uh, newish players coming into the test lineup. And, and being introduced carefully at certain times and when conditions suit gives them a chance um, and fitting into that test side because we are going to have change. We're just talking about Tom Bruce there being 30. There are a lot of 30-year-olds in this test side. Um, and, and 
the fact of it is is that these two selectors, Larson and, and, and of course, Gary Stead, have tended to pick quite, quite stable conservative selections. And I don't think we're going to see a change from that method even though you've just sort of just suggested there that there might be the odd one or two, I don't think they will be appearing around the tests. Um, and it's more likely to be the T20 ODIs, I think. Um, so what sh should there be? Probably one or two, I would say. M maybe one. Um, because that test side, uh, even though the results have been mixed this year, um, is pretty settled, isn't it? I mean... The batting lineup. The problem I have with, with some of these wads is that, you know, our batting this year has been like the results, a bit mixed. You know, even like someone like Tommy Latham, who was a dead cert to be going to England. But he had 16 innings this year. I'm going back to April to April. And he got 30. He got to 30 only four times out of those 16 innings. Two very good tests, one at Kanpur and one at Christchurch. But, you know, 75%, that means, are below 30 of his innings. You know, seven of his 12 innings are 10 or less runs. So there's an element of kind of disguise, I think, that goes on, especially when you're only playing a series, and all those series were two tests, apart from the final against India at Southampton. And so, you know, and I think you look at a player like Young, who had 12 innings over his year, five innings were over 50. And it was only South Africa, really, where he got nicked off that he had more difficulty. So sometimes you can be confused, I think, quite easily by the stats. Conway, definitely the batsman of the year. Uh, he, if he doesn't get it, then they can all... all who's, are you selecting them again this year, whatever the awards no, no. that are coming up? No, well, we've been dropped. were, uh, Conway, I mean, 300s, one of them a 200, a 90 and an 80 and so on. It goes on. Only one score under 10. If the openers do their job, Conway is going to build good innings for New Zealand. Williamson didn't play much, did he? Yeah, he will be now, we assume, because he's playing IPL. So our top six then basically looks pretty settled in terms of uh, Conway, Lathan, Williamson, Young, Nichols. Now, one more. Is it Blundell at six or does he go at seven? And is there a, a de Grandholm or a Mitchell or such like going in there? Or for you, any surprise? No, no surprises. I think I've got those. Well, you've mentioned um, de Grandholm and Mitchell. So that's eight batsmen, I think, that you've just named. And I had the same eight down. How they line up might be some questions, whether you go with Conway to partner Latham at the start, as he did against England at Lords last year in the first test match of this last test year, um, and he got 200, of course. Um, why change that? But Young is the incumbent, and I know the right-left-hand combination is a favour uh, and a favourite of, of Stead, so... You could end up going right, left, or left, right, left, right, left, like like walking in a dance, um, right the way down, couldn't you, to number six with Latham and Young and then Conway and Williamson. Williamson going in in the place of Taylor, that's dropping a, a place, or the other way around, you might like that better. 
then Nichols and Blundell, or Nichols and Mitchell. Mitchell, perhaps uh, more of a batsman than De Grandham, I would have thought. De Grandham got that hundred in uh, in the test against South Africa, didn't he? Aggressive innings, aggr- very aggressive yep. innings, um, and and no one helped him. And that was the, my last point about the batting I wanted to make. I thought I just I'm not picking on Jameson at all. Um, he's a fine young player, and he's made a great difference to this New Zealand side. But 12 innings top score of 23 in the last year. Now, he's better than that. You and I watched him when he first came in, and he looked quite a proper batsman, to the extent that there was even a little inkling of thought that he was good to bat at seven, maybe in the future, uh, and allow us, therefore, a few more options at eight, nine, ten, eleven with the bowlers. Um, He's been caught leg side a lot, but I just think he needs to be a wee bit smarter and show us what he's got. I mean, Maharaj, batting at eight, where Jameson bats for South Africa, Maharaj, got 84 the other day uh, at number eight. Um, Alex Carey got 93 for Australia at number eight the other week. And then Chris Woke repeatedly gets run. He's got two test centuries. He got loads of 40s and 50s. And sure, that was against the West Indies. But at the same time, that's what number eight means nowadays. Number eight is a batting position as well. Uh, particularly when attacks are tiring, and the op- you know the opposition are thinking, oh, we've got we can get a run on and finish them off. And New Zealand this year haven't been getting those runs from the lower order. No, and that is one of the areas of concern, isn't it? Southie, Bolt, Wagner, Henry, all likely to be there. Jameson was averaging around 50 in the early stages of his test career, so some work needs to be done to get him back in there. Those bowlers will be there. Is the inclusion or non-inclusion of Patel a likely surprise for you? Oh, well, it would be a huge surprise if he wasn't selected. He is our best spinner. If he's fit, not injured, ready to go, he must go there. He bowled at Birmingham in the second test match uh, against England last year and picked up wickets. Um the, the 10 wickets has to be probably the performance of the year, surely. I mean, you, how often does that occur? Um, yeah, I, I had the, I had the, uh, the Saudi-Bolt combination as kind of locked in as far as the seamers were concerned. And don't forget, going to England in June, uh, the test match starting on the 2nd of June, so early June, Saudi and Bolt locked in. Bolt didn't play much last year. Uh, but the Wagner, I think Wagner deserves the chance. There was an inkling of thinking about, has he lost a bit of pace? He's now 36. Um, when he goes to the short ball, has he got the, pounce, uh, the bounce and the pace to go with that short-pitched attack? And I, he deserves, I think, the chance now to actually to, to prove he can either do it or not. Um, so I had him there as well. I had Henry there because of his performance and he's a, he's played at Kent where he got 70 to 80 wickets in the season. Uh, he, he did well in the Birmingham test as well last year on a brownish pitch. Um, and he's of course done well against South Africa just recently. So he goes. So there are the four you would expect. Bolt, Saudi, Wagner, Henry. Um, but that, 
uh, I would think Patel, the Wagner-Henry Patel option might be the one where you just get a few little changes. So there's 14 names, and they're probably in your list as well, I would have thought. It's the 15th name that we are going to probably have to start to think about. Now, do you know how many days there are between the Lord's Test and the Trent Bridge Test? Uh, There's about four or five, I think. Four. There's two. Uh, There's not, because they're playing two, is there? Oh, well, there you go. Because they're playing three tests in a month. Yep. They've got June 2 to 7. That's at Lord's first test. Second test starts on the 10th, so they've got 8th and ninth off, unless, of course, the game finishes early. So you've got two days in between the start of that first test to the second test. And I just wonder um, whether the selectors might think, gee, do we need another seamer in there? To just in case we get a Christchurch situation against South Africa in the second test or we get a Bangladesh first test and the, and the legs start to go. Do we need another seamer? Um, it would have been nice, I would have thought, if there was an off spinner in New Zealand that could bat and get a few runs. That would be a nice addition. A lot of people will pick Ravindra. I personally think that he needs another year or so in that New Zealand A side and getting runs at Plunkett Shield level. Um, we, do we need two left arms, but I'd rather have one coming the other way always, so you're always threatening the outside edge, right left-handers. I, I personally think that there might be a, a temptation to go for an, another seamer because of that second test, how close it is. But a spinner would do me as well there, if we can. The spinners, who are they, Wads? Michael Bracewell is one well, option. Yeah, Bracewell's coming into the oh, consideration. Of course, he'll be there in the short-form game. What about uh, Tickner? Does his name feature there as your 15th? Because uh, the 15 I've got uh, doesn't include him. Yes, I had his name down. Uh, he's he's a shorter quick bowler. He's five foot eleven, so he might be that skiddy kind of bowler as well, which can be quite useful. You and I were pretty impressed at his speeds um, against mm. the Netherlands, weren't we? Yeah, same with so, Henry. He was hitting good numbers with speed as well. Yeah, well, he'll definitely be there. I mean, even in, in England, Wads, England can be a tough place to play as a batsman because the cloud cover rolls in with the Duke ball. That's not a good combination. You get movement here off the pitch. And you can also get lovely, clear days when run-making is possible. So it's a, it's a bit of a hit and miss sometimes. But those nibbly bowlers, even like de Grandom, if it's cloud cover, He's in the game, you know, so but so Henry definitely. All right. It comes to a point where you have to uh, give your 15 as chief selector, Jeremy Coney. You are in charge. No correspondence will be added into. Your <laughs> head is on the block if it fails. Give me your 15 to go to England. Oh, well, Latham, Young, Conway, Williamson, and then Nichols, Blundell, de Grandom, and Mitchell, the batsman. The all-rounders, you see, do you put another Bracewell in there? And I'm going to, because I think we need to develop our spin bowling. Uh, and then Jameson, Wagner, Henry, Patel, definitely, Saudi Bolt. Good team. Good team. I like it. 
It'll be interesting to see how close you get, and we'll sharpen the axe. We'll sharpen the axe in case we have to take your head off. <laughs> well, we'll wait and see. It's a it's a talking point, and you know maybe out next week, and we'll be able to uh, reflect on their selections on the front foot uh, next week. But that's how we see the Test match side. Of course, there are uh, ODIs and T20s to be played. Firstly, in Ireland then in Scotland, and then in Netherlands. So it's a big tour, this one. Very shortly, we'll be talking women's cricket with Wally Lees. On the Front Foot with Waddle and Coney. On the Front Foot with Brian Waddle and Jeremy Coney. After missing out on the semi-finals of the Women's World Cup, a review of the New Zealand domestic and international game was mooted. Former White Fern Kirsty Bond made a passionate plea on the Front Foot a couple of weeks ago and offered some ideas for the development of the game. Among her ideas was to push to grow the game, more participants, better coaching, and in the White Ferns case, appoint a female coach. Another man with experience in coaching both the men's and the women's team, the Black Caps and the White Ferns, and also the Otago domestic team, plus other teams, is Warren Lees, who joins on the front foot. And Wally, it's a familiar call from within the women's game. We've heard it before, haven't we? Uh, we've heard all of those things before, mainly uh, when we haven't played well, and recently we haven't, so you get a lot of opinion. I, I, I realise that um, yeah, the the, the, uh, the the women's coach, uh, that, that comes out uh, every now and again. I, I, I don't fully agree with it. I think um, someone who understands people is what is required. You know, it doesn't matter what sex you are, really, as long as you understand people and you're willing to take time to get to know everyone, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. Is that an important part of any coach's job in terms of uh, perhaps soothing egos or getting people to uh, focus on their core roles rather than the the actual uh, technical coaching of the game? Well, I guess when you become a coach of a provincial or, or even a club team or, or international team, uh, there will be guidelines set down by whoever employs you in that position and the emphasis may be on the technical side of the game. But sometimes the, the people in, in, in control of the game realise that there's a bit more to it and hopefully they do realise that. Now, I think important the most things, really the coach has to be someone who's honest, who's willing to make mistakes and admit them, who really takes time out to learn that every player within his team uh, is an individual, and that's what makes up a team in the end or a successful team, that everyone's allowed to be an, an individual. But really, you alongside people. I, I, I like the term being everyone's uncle. Um, I, I think being close enough at times to be supportive, but far enough away at times to also be the person who's basically in charge. You know, if you don't get those, well, you might as well not coach. And if you don't get people on your side, uh, it's not always the, the fault of the people within the team. Quite often, it may be that the coach has to look at his own um, uh, his own guidelines and the way he does the job himself. Did you see much of the Women's World Cup and did you sense some of those issues uh, were lacking? I saw nearly all of the uh, World Cup, Brian. Uh, from a distance, you can't tell what, exactly what's lacking, but you could, you could sense certain things about the team, especially when the top four or five players didn't perform and, and immediately you, put, you, you saw the gap between our top four or five players and the next group down. And I think that's something that uh, hasn't developed over the last few years. It's the same group of four or five top players with a big, group, a big gap back to the next six that we had probably seven or eight years ago. 
And I think that's a real concern that New Zealand cricket haven't addressed that, or if, if they have tried to, it hasn't succeeded. You know, I think really the gap between the top and the, and the middle or, or lower player, players within the team is just too great. So how do you fix that? It's not going to be easy, is it? No, and it won't be done in a very short time. And I think sometimes just throwing money at the game is, isn't uh, actually uh, going to produce results. It takes a long, long time. And I, and, and I found out that um, there are probably fewer players in the women's game in, in uh, the lower South Island than, the, than there were five or six years ago. There's a, there's a bubble, of course. Of, you always get a bubble at, at a high school level of those who are between, say, the age of 14 and 17, an enthusiastic group led by school teachers with an interest. Uh, I didn't say coaches, school teachers with an interest. And for those players who, who go through high school and, and play the occasional game, no competition, but the occasional game, there is an enthusiastic group of people. But on leaving school, there's no cricket. There's no games, there's no clubs, there's no club sides. We have a very, very small group of people who either make the Otago Sparks or, or are close enough to, to be included in the practice group or they don't play at all. And that's exactly no difference. Uh, in fact, there's probably less players than we had uh, six or seven years ago. And I think that is a real area that New Zealand cricket has to look to. They have to actually develop enough players playing the game. You'll only learn to run between the wickets, Brian, if you go out and play. You can talk about it. You can go to the nets. You can actually watch videos. And I, I did look it up, but New Zealand had probably the most runouts in the whole series of, of, of World Cup because we didn't even know how to run between the wickets. And you'll only do that if you play cricket. And we don't play enough. We go to the nets. It's all technical. We have all these grips, dance, backlift things. And we, if we don't go out and play... We won't learn the game, and that's exactly what all the associations have to look at. Forget about throwing money at the game. Provide a competition. That then gets down to doing the simple things and doing them well, isn't it? Well, it is that. It's, it's exactly that. I, I, I realise I'm old and quite old-fashioned, but the, the camps that they, they used to have or the, the B team going to Australia in men's cricket um, – probably can't happen at the moment in women's cricket. The B-level players, B is not a very nice term, I don't think, but it's the term that was used, and it's second 11. But those players are being looked after. The fact that no club sides down here have a women's team who play on a regular basis means there's really nothing to... to you don't learn, as I say, unless you play. And I think that's a responsibility of those people who run the game. It used to be that the people who were on the committees of all the cricket associations felt that they were doing a community service by providing a sport for the younger people. And I think that's the exact opposite of what's happening now. Yes, one of the interesting things that Kirsty Bond pointed out is she coaches the Canterbury under-19 women's team and she said they were at an under-19 tournament of 50 over games, and none of the players had played 50 over cricket. And yet so they're putting an emphasis now on under-19 uh, cricket, and they've also got an under-19 Women's World Cup coming up. Uh, that sort of thing isn't going to be done easily either. You've got to spend a lot of time doing the things you're talking about. Well, they do. There has to be a meaningful competition run by the, the local associations or be it a, a group of uh, keen parents or whatever, 
which gives them every Friday afternoon after school there's a game of cricket and it's going to take three hours. Or every Sunday morning, starting at 10 o'clock, there is a three-hour game of cricket. and we go, It has to be regular, so they, they have their own timetable. They know when they've got to turn up. They know that there is a, a path. Say career path, but there is a path that they can progress through. And if I'm this year, I'm in the third eleven, or surely next year I could get into the second eleven. When you say that uh, they had an under nineteen competition, if you played cricket in this lower part of the South Island, then you were under nineteen, you would actually join Katie Martin and Susie Bates, and you'd be in the Sparks because that's the lack of numbers, and that's something that is hugely concerning, and 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 it's something that. No one really wants to provide an answer to. And I think it is time that there was a, a group of people with some experience get around the table and say, let's sort this whole thing out. Yes, well, they're going to have to have a review quite clearly because of the failure at the World Cup. Do you see an obvious coach? Where would you look for a coach for the White Ferns? Because they're going to need someone who's got experience and skills. Mm-hmm. Experience and skills, Brian, is a really important thing. Um, I, I think someone has to be proven. And time and time again, we see in New Zealand cricket that people are given the job in the hope that they may do well. And they're given the job um, under, the, under the terms of on trial. And if you go well for your first half season, you could carry on till the end and we may give you another go later on. But it's not a trial situation when you're playing international cricket in your own backyard, a World Cup with the best players in the world and the best teams in the world and you can't find someone who's, who's done the job or who has, who has proven ability at doing it. And I, and I, I seriously think it's time they perhaps looked off, offshore and they perhaps looked at some of the successes uh, from, from the other teams, England, Australia, obvious examples, but there will be people in those, in, in those groups who have done well in, in the Australian competition, very, very strong. We know how strong it is because it's done so much for four or five of our own players. But we don't want four, of our own, four or five of our own players going away and learning their trade in Australia and leaving our own competition weak. We've got to make sure that our own competition is strong enough that they want to stay here. But I think it is time that we perhaps look offshore and we, and we said to someone, here you are, we know that you've been successful over a long period of time and you can come back in and you can help New Zealand for three years, minimum contract. And we'll give you all the support you, you need. And if you want to go to Lincoln, and if you want to have a three-day camp, or a wicketkeeper's camp, or a spinball's camp, yes, we'll do it that way. But this person has to come in with some ideas, and no doubt if they've proven and, and have done well in the past, yes, they'll have ideas, all right. Well, there's the challenge for uh, New Zealand administrators and uh, the review process that they will ultimately get to. Just before we go... Um Wally, I understand talking to you earlier, one of your old flatmates has just lost a job. <laughs> I did notice it. It's a strange thing that uh, there won't be many people around the world could say, well, England Khan was my flatmate for, for a summer in England. But, uh, yeah, he was. He, he was a flatmate, and um, there were only two of us. Um, and he was a particularly interesting character. I learned an awful lot from him. I, I didn't always appreciate exactly the way he, he treated certain situations, and I hope that he learned a little bit from me as well. Obviously, it hasn't worked out too well in, uh, in the last uh, few days, but uh, I did enjoy uh, living with Imran Khan when I was in Worcester in 1976. You did right. Was he a playboy? Oh, he played well, boy. 
Yeah, you did right, he did. He did take you as well. He could play. Good good response. No telling tales out of school. Wally, thanks very much for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again uh, on the front foot and hearing your views on the game of cricket. Yeah, not a problem. As I as I say, it's from a distance, and it's not all that very all that often that I watch. But I certainly do watch in expectation of the World Cup. And like so many people around the country, I was even embarrassed, embarrassed by the performance. Warren Lees and Imran Khan, what a pair that would have been way back in the seventies in Worcester. And and Wally's not the only one, Jerry, who's um, flattered with Imran Khan. Didn't Parks John John Parker flat with uh, Imran for a period of time? He did. Certainly he did, and, and Parks, of course, in his usual style, told, uh, told Imran Khan how he can bowl. <laughs> he, 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 he developed, uh, developed his action and said it was very different when he played for Worcester, and so Parks got hold of him in front of the mirror and <laughs> tried to, to get him into different positions. Probably broke a couple of fingers on Imran Khan. But, yeah, he was... Uh, uh, you know, Imran Khan was a bowler and a very strong bowler too. I've got to say, he was quite sharp and didn't give you well, much you had a te- time to play. You had a technique, and you were playing the jump shot, weren't you? Yeah, I'd, I I got some special springs attached to my to my boot swads. Um, extraordinary, extraordinary effort. I don't know why it just sort of happened, and then it seemed to to work for a while. Could hear some giggling behind the stumps from various players, <laughs> um, but it worked for me at that time, and and that just showed you that was even at Auckland, where you know the Port Albert soil. He was quick enough to get the ball up for me to have to jump. Anyway, um, yeah, interesting points made by Wally. Interesting points as far as the women's game are concerned. Yeah, and uh, I think he's in the same line of thinking as we had from Kirsty Bond in terms of the things that need to be done. It's not going to be a quick fix, but they've got to get a plan in place, uh, firstly to grow the game, then to get coaches. Uh, and, and while Kirsty would like to see a, a female coach, there aren't many doing that job in New Zealand. Wally says you might have to look overseas to get somebody. Well, if they're going to do it properly, yes, they have to consider that, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, the main point to me that came across while he was speaking is, one, get going on recruitment. And you've just mentioned that. And those that are playing, he was suggesting, in the Deep South are confined to quite a narrow age group. And as an aside, he mentioned, didn't he, it was a teacher taking them, no coach. And um, and then he said the other thing, and they're pretty obvious things, give them a regular competition. I mean, the consequences of that, of not having those, how can you select sides without players? Yes. And secondly, if you don't actually play game situations, how do they get to know it? And, and Kirsty Bond, as you say, said the same, get more players. And there's no point in having systems that we were talking about a couple of podcasts ago if there's no one there. And Wally is also saying there's no system either. So these, these are major, major things. And he's right. It does take a long time to bed down to get people to run competitions, to have umpires, to get a reasonable pitch to play on, to help players get better, to enjoy the time they're spending playing. I mean, you, you were involved. Well, 
at your stage with, with daughter, wasn't it, with mm-hmm. the women's game in Wellington? Are there many club games? There aren't many down here. I took the time to just check around um, down here what what's going on in, in, in cricket in Marlborough. Well, you know, um, and I asked a guy and he said, oh, very primitive at the moment, but they are trying to push women's and girls' cricket. He said a little place just out of Blenheim called Rennick has two teams of junior girls and, and there's a bit of funding available for, for women, uh, women's cricket through grants. Wally makes the point that, um, that Kirsty Bond made in terms of getting the numbers up. The more you've got, then the more options you've got in terms of selection. And I have uh, one issue that uh, gets my goat is that they have rep players attached to each of the clubs here in Wellington, but they never play. And to my mind, that is wrong. They should be there helping foster the senior sides, the Premier Division sides, because that's what's going to lift the standard two in each of those teams. That's the way I see it. Why are they not playing? Have they because got representative? They're practising for rep games and they're playing blaze games. Uh, you know, that's how their competition is set up. But they do have periods, particularly at the start of the season, to my mind, where they could be playing in the club competition. Uh, you know, I, I know from watching a lot of these younger girls who are trying to make their way that they thrive on playing against those top players because it helps them lift their game. They don't want to let the side down, so they want to pick their game up. They don't expect the top players to come back to their level. That, to me, is a, is a normal approach to uh, developing teams, isn't it? You get rub off, Brian, don't you? And a little word here and there to a bowler walking back if, if, if the, the senior player is at mid-on or mid-off, that they, that they just, just even a little sentence or two to, to try and help the bowler through to the end of that over if they're having some trouble. A, a, a batsman you know, asking a question in the changing room about backlift or about just about something that is concerning them and, and, and they're, they're worried about. So I, I think definitely that, that process of handing information and experience down to the next level in order that they can work their way through it in a quicker and more sensible way seems a very, a, a very good way to pass on things. Brian Waddle. Jeremy Coney on the front foot. Finally, Jerry, this week, uh, disturbing sort of uh, story coming out of the UK. It hasn't been a week to remember for former Black Cap James Franklin. He's had a mixed week, uh, I suppose, as head coach of Durham. His side played a draw in Cardiff against Glamorgan, but Franklin awoke to some worrying headlines. The headline says, Durham have said they, in inverted commas, will speak to head coach James Franklin over historical bullying allegations made by Indian cricketer Yasvendra Chahal. Chahal claimed that Franklin and former Australia all-rounder Andrew Simons tied him up when they played together at Mumbai in the IPL in 2011. He also alleged the pair taped his mouth and left him in a room all night. In a statement, Durham said they would seek to determine the facts. Former Indian coach Ravi Shastri said a life ban would be appropriate for behaviour like that of a Mumbai Indians player who allegedly dangled teammate Chahal from a 15th floor hotel balcony during the 2013 
Indian Premier League. Well, it's slightly different than the 2011 that Jahal said, but it's it's worrying in as much as whatever you do can still catch up with you a long time hence. It's it's one of those things you've got to be conscious of, I guess, as a as an international sportsman in any code. We're seeing a bit more of it, aren't we, in other places and some texting that used to go on 10 years ago and that fellow Robinson playing in his first test against New Zealand, that, that came out, didn't it? Mm. Um, look, I'm all for team unity and doing some you know, little things, but I personally, as you read that out, I don't see that as a prank. I don't – I mean, if it's true, and that's why they're going to be asking and speak to him, I think it's beyond practical joke stuff, Wads, and hijinks. You can't tape someone's mouth up and tie them up and leave them in a room all night. That's imprisonment, mate. And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't sound to me as if Chahal gave his consent. Yeah, chap, yeah chaps, go on, tie me up and clank, put something over my mouth. No, that sounds actually a wee bit like bullying, doesn't it? Um, and it sounds like making bad decisions. Um, you can't deny somebody to walk through their room and open the door and then turn left or right. Those are freedoms, basic freedoms. So I, it, confining and restraining someone and leaving them there, I don't, I don't know, and he couldn't even call to let anybody know about his predicament. I just think it's gone way too far. So I'm, I'm afraid I would say there should be a consequence for that. Yes, well, we'll reserve um, final judgment until some investigation finds it out. But it's uh, it's it's a worrying scenario for um, for for former Black Cap James Franklin. I hope uh, there's uh, a reasonable uh, response and story from it. Very som very somber way to end the program, Wads. Yes, it is, but that is what's happening in cricket these days and these stories come out, they have to be investigated. Nothing sombre about what we have to do over the next week. We'll have to have a look at uh, ODI and the T20 teams that uh, could be uh, chosen. Um, you have your test team written down. Uh, I hope you can read it uh, again in the next couple of days, Jerry, just to make sure because we're going to test you when the team is finally named. Well, Wads, I, I don't think I, I... I'll have the majority of them, I think. That, I don't think that's too difficult. Yeah, I picked Williamson, so I think I'll get that right. You got him? I've got him yep. too. So yeah, it'll, be, it'll <laughs> be a bit of a surprise, just a slight surprise if he doesn't make it. Indeed. Oh, well, at least we've got a starting point for our team, and that's a great thing. Thanks for joining us again, uh, as ever, Jerry. Look forward to having you back next week. Cheers, Wads. Yep, absolutely. Look forward to it. We'll be on the front foot. For the wonderful days of summer singing.